Just finished an interview with the legend himself, G. Edward Griffin. We're going to have a little bit of this interview up on YouTube. The rest of it you can find at timandjohnshow.com. Get it on our email list and we will send it out to you. Also be able to, be able to find us on odyssey slash library. Uh, that's lbry.tv or odyssey. Again, all these places you can find at timandjohnshow.com. Click on the connect and you can see places to watch us, places to stream us, places to uh, get our podcast afterwards. That is timandjohnshow.com for the entire show. Hope you guys enjoy. Take care. So welcome everybody to the Tim and John show. Today we have the legend G Ever Griffin on the show. And when it comes to people who've had an influence, uh, not only on myself, but on the show, Mr. Griffin is definitely on the Mount Rushmore of people that have influenced me. And he's right there probably battling for the top spot with Dr. Ron Paul. So it's uh, definitely an honor to have him. Last time we had Mr. Griffin on was right before his Red Pill Expo, which I drove across the country to go to. It was definitely well worth it. Awesome event, about 600 people there. Couldn't actually believe how well attended it was and how much energy Mr. Griffin had putting everything on. And he was there, you know, all the way till about 2.30 in the morning and then back up the next 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 morning and definitely a model for, you know, everyone, uh, you know, when it comes to just how much energy um, <clears throat> Mr. Griffin has. But last time he was on the show, we talked about QAnon, which I didn't really want to get into because I knew that it was, you know, probably not the uh, not the best subject to bring up to one of your idols because I know it's sort of like a controversial thing. But, you know, I do feel that we are pretty vindicated, you know, seeing how where we are today versus where you know after the selection so we've had a lot going on since the last time we spoke even though it was in october we've had the you know the events of january 6 which you know so-called insurrection we had the uh the the presidential selection we had impeachment round number two which is just getting going on and now we're seeing the emergence of this patriot act 2.0 where you know basically everyone who's probably watching this is going to be labeled a thought criminal but you know, I do think it's you know worth noting we're putting a timestamp on this. Today is February 1st, 2021. And we've seen one of the biggest moves upwards ever by Silver today and you know also on Friday as well. And just wanted to get Mr. Griffin's take. Uh, I think we'll start in the silver markets on this wild action we've been seeing. And if you think that now is the time when you know the retail investors are finally starting to care about sound money, or do you think this is more of a sort of a you know flash in the pan and more do you think this is the beginning of, of more things to come, Mr. Griffin? Well, first of all, thank you for all those kind words about me. We, yeah, we've covered a lot of a lot of topics in the recent past, and none of them were rather ho hum. They're all controversial, and surprised we have any friends left by this time. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, this is the time for the truth as we see it. So uh, uh, let's plunge in. You asked me what, what I think about the silver market. What does that mean? Well, I, I'm first of all, I should tell everybody what they probably already know. And that is that uh, I, I try not to make predictions because when I do, I'm usually wrong. I'm seldom wrong about the substance of the prediction, but I'm almost always wrong about the timing. It, it always happens later than I think. I, I, I guess I have a little bit of chicken little in me because I always think, oh, this, this market can't hold, a, can't hold together much longer. I feel like... Uh, uh, what was this? Uh, the, I can't hold her together much, Captain. Uh, she's coming apart. Remember uh, Star Trek and all those movies? Yeah. <laughs> I've always felt that we I can't hold her together much. She's, the, the system's coming apart, she is. <laughs> and uh, Well, the system doesn't come apart quite as fast as I think so. So all of that is a, it's kind of a warning that uh, what I see, I feel very firm in terms of uh, what's happening, uh, but I, I'll try not to make any... Uh, predictions as to how soon or how soon it's going to happen. So what I think what we actually saw is that not so much the retail market in general, because I think the the great numbers, the great masses of the people are still uh, kind of asleep on this issue of of the importance of 
having something other than a fiat money system to preserve whatever you might have in terms of private savings or wealth. If you have a lot of it, you don't call it savings, you call it wealth, you know. But you go through life and you try and save a little bit as you go and then to get toward the back end of it, you say, oh gee, that's a nice little nest egg there. And uh, But then if you're living in a system where there's a lot of inflation going on, which means all of the systems of the world today, which are using fiat currencies, which means, as your listeners know, it means that there's nothing behind the currencies except the restraint and good judgment of our fine leaders, uh, which brings into question how <laughs> how firm it really is, uh, because they just keep making more and more money as they need to finance their various enterprises. There's no limitation as to how much money they can spend now, because all the brakes are off. They can just create it at will, and uh, so they just spend, 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 and every time they, they spend more than goes out of existence, and I should say be, take a look at that side of the formula too because people have often asked me how come we're not we don't see more inflation and we know that they're they're creating like trillions and trillions of dollars every time they go into the congress has a session there's another four or five trillion dollars created well how come we don't have more inflation and i'll, I'll just keep on the sidetrack for a second i hope to remember to come back to the main track and the sidetrack is that it's because uh, people around the world are still anxious to have U.S. dollars, and they transact their major um, business transactions in dollars, and so they gobble them up even though uh, they're worthless. Their their own currencies are even in worse shape than ours, so we look good by comparison <laughs> to some of these other countries. And then, of course, the other factor is that there's a lot of money going out of the bucket, too. We, we, we look at the money supply like it's water going into a bucket. I mean, a lot of those big fire hose full of water going into this small bucket. How come it's not overflowing? Well, if you look at the bottom of the bucket, it's because there's a huge hole in the bottom of the bucket. And there's a, a lot of that money that's coming into existence for the first time is also going out of existence because people have bad debts and the banks have to write off credit card debts and mortgages and so forth. And all that money that was on the books as, uh, as supposedly spendable money you know, M2, M3, and so forth, uh, that is going out of existence, too, at a rather alarming rate, but you don't see the numbers on that. So anyway, um, in spite of all of that, now I'll get back to the main track, I think uh, the average person is beginning to sense that the money supply, the U.S. dollars, or even the yen, or the Deutschmark, I mean, they're all, they're all going kaput. And so a crisis comes along, and all of a sudden people are paying attention uh, to what's going on in the world, whereas previously they could say, oh, it's just well, it's more of the same, more of the same. Yes, bad, but uh, anyway, w what time does Dancing in the Stars come on again? You know, and so then never, don't take it too seriously. Now in the times of real panic and apparent crisis out there, uh, people are thinking, well, gosh, what's going to happen if, if the banks close down and all my money's in the bank? Uh, I, I can't all stick it under my mattress. And then they're hearing about, you know, the Great Reset when uh, uh, Klaus says, uh, Klaus says, uh, yeah, in, in another year and a half or two years, uh, nobody will have any property and you will be happy. <laughs> so and, and no privacy, too. Yeah. And no yeah, privacy, that, but you'll be happy. That, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that quote came out of Denmark, by the way, so oh, no yeah. surprise there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, so the, I guess I'm rambling a bit. I guess I'm rambling a bit, but it, it does cover all of these areas. And I think even even the, the guy that doesn't, doesn't want to know about these things, he can't help but discover 
just peripherally that uh, things are not looking good for the economy. And uh, he's, if he's smart, he's beginning to think, gee, these things have happened in other countries. Maybe it could happen here. And uh, so their confidence level in the stability of the American system and the American dollar has been greatly lowered. And so I think now we finally come to the answer to the question. I think people are worried about their own survival economically. And they're thinking, well, gosh, if I've got a few thousand dollars in the bank, that's good. I uh, get me going over some rough spots. But what happens if the bank closes? Or if they don't like something I said on Twitter and they, they confiscate my, my bank account, just close it down because I'm under investigation for being a terrorist or something, you know? And so they're thinking about these things. And so now that means they're looking for other places to put whatever savings they have. And well, what do you know? Silver and gold and, and other assets are, are very likely an interesting candidate. So is cryptocurrency. And so I think people are beginning, we're beginning to see people are making an exodus, beginning to make an exodus out of the banking system, out of fiat money, and they're looking for safe harbors. And that's that's the bottom of it. Yeah, and we're seeing the point now where people, banks in Florida are closing down former President Trump's accounts basically just because, you know, he's, you know, orange man bad and they are closing him down. And so if it can happen to a former president, I mean, this can happen to anybody. And this should be a warning shot. I mean, I voted for Kanye West, so I'm not like even a, a, as a point that the whole thing, the whole system is a fraud. But, you know, you had mentioned a lot of good things in there. You mentioned the Great Reset. And, and also wanted to, uh, you know, get your take on Have you Are you familiar with what's going on right now currently with Wall Street bets and the Reddit forums and how they were battling against the hedge funds? Is that something that's been on your radar, sir? Yes, yes. I've been following that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and And right now they have turned their attention to the silver markets to try to in an attempt to maybe squeeze JP Morgan or, or whoever allegedly might be shorting the silver markets. And it's very reassuring to see that now people are starting to turn their attention on, you know, some of the main culprits of this system and not just, you know, uh, a place where people go and buy video games. But I think they will find out it's going to be much tougher to try to squeeze the silver market, which is in comparison to GameStop, much, much bigger than GameStop, obviously. But, but do you think that that's a... Yeah you know, a good sign of things to come that now you're getting, you know, you're because I think what it's doing is it's getting, you know, these millennials, which, you know, I'm technically millennial and, you know, video game enthusiasts. Now they're then saying, oh, hey, we're starting to realize that the problem is central banking and the problem is, you know, the, the you know, money creation. So I think that now we are at this point where a lot of the things that you were, you know, preaching, you know, before John and I were even born, that now we're starting to see our generation finally starting to, you know, gleam onto this. And I'm just hoping that it's more than just a fad, more than just trying to, you know, squeeze the market and that they finally can understand. But but do you have hope that, you know, our generation, uh, my, you know, my and John's generation will finally get it? Or is it going to be too late by the time that well, they finally... Tim, Tim I, I have total, not only hope, but confidence that that's going to happen. If I didn't, I don't know, I probably wouldn't be in the fight. Because, uh, yeah, I, I have no doubt in my mind that uh, what you just said is happening and it's going to continue to happen. It's an unstoppable thing. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to happen quickly. But I think if you look at it generationally, uh, this, this, this um, destructive phase that we're going through right now is probably going to be, a, I hope at least, it's going to be a blip on the historical record. 
I don't think it can last too long. It's if if it it's got to it's got to go one way or the other pretty soon because people are waking up in large numbers, and I think the uh, the master planners who are doing all this, you know, the uh, the dominant class, as um, Joe Plimmer likes to call them, and I like that phrase, the dominant class. Uh, they they understand that uh, they can't they have to move quickly if they want to close this down and lock it down. They better do it quickly because in spite of all of the censoring and the uh, internet uh, blocking and all of those things, uh, people are finding alternative ways of getting the message out. And then there's that interesting human uh, factor that uh, if you want somebody to read something, uh, tell them they can't read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we all are like that, you know. Oh, this is something that I'm not supposed to know. Uh, where is it, you know? So uh, you I, cannot read Creature from Jekyll Island. Yeah. Everyone out there, do not read it. No. You must not. No. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of thought criminals have read that book in the past. Yeah. So I yeah. think there's that factor is at play now, and the more uh, people are getting banned on uh, on social media and on the you know YouTube and all the video channels as we are, I think it it's it, subconsciously is delivering a message to the common person that there's something wrong about this. So it, a lot of things are moving in our direction and it's going to be really rough. I mean, we're heading for the waterfall and uh, it is going to be rough. But I, in, in an answer to your question about the longer view, what about your generation and the one after that? I'm very confident about how that's going to turn out because um, we've got the momentum and we've got the foundation. and and. One of the hardest things that I had to overcome when I, when I was the age of you guys, I was very impatient. I said, um, I, I listened to the old timers say, well, Edward, you know, uh, you're in a big hurry, but these things don't move quickly. Uh, you know, it, it took generations to get from where we used to be to where we are now, and you're not gonna turn this thing around like overnight. And I kept thinking, like hell I won't, of course I will, you know, of course, you guys are, get, get out of the way, let, let me at it, you know. Well, now here I am, I've got a few more years on me, and I'm beginning to s deliver that same lecture to the young guys. Hey, wait a minute, guys, you know, these things don't happen quickly. <laughs> and, and, and they don't, that's the whole point. That our opponents have been at this for well over 100 years, very well organized for 100 years. And that's not very long in terms of the, of the big tableau, but, uh, uh, but still 100 years is, a, is a several generations, right? It's a three or four generations. And uh, it took them that long to get to where they are. We're not going to turn this around like at the next election because the, the culture has been twisted and burned and tampered with. It's going to take a long time to, re, to recharge and, and reform that culture and move it back to a more healthy position. So that takes generations. But it will happen. That's the point, and I, I'll just stop talking about it because that's really my bottom line. I have great confidence that, that we are definitely going to uh, we're creating a movement that cannot be stopped. It's just a question of how long it takes. You know, it's yeah, and, great. Uh, yeah. Sorry, John. Yeah, and also the, the the kids. You know, they got their stimulus checks now, uh, and so mm -hmm. like they're sitting at home doing nothing, and they're getting together. All of them are very good at communicating online. My my sister and brother, they speak fluently English, and they're from Norway. Uh, everybody's communicating everywhere around the world, and uh, a lot of them knows about the conspiracy things happening as well. They're very aware, you know, uh, but they're not, you know, you you don't hear them very outspoken yet. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, coming out there, but suddenly they pop up in a group, you know, Wall Street bets or 
whatever it is and like you know what they screwed uh, screwed up our parents you know the baby boomers they stole <laughs> you know my parents money now it's time to get back at them and uh i think they got uh, quite empowered by the whole gamestop thing because the you know of course uh, citadel you know the the hedge fund one of the hedge funds and melvin capital citadel is actually a really funny hedge fund because who sits uh, as a senior advisor there it's uh, osama other, osama ben bernanke, ben bernanke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then who was getting paid yeah, eight hundred thousand so- dollars to speak there in the past couple of years janet yellen was getting oh, paid eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars a speech yeah, like, exactly. like who's paying janet yellen eight hundred thousand dollars yeah, I want, to get, I want to get into that speaking circuit. How do I do that? <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 you're also funny Ed, because we know like we hosted a whole bunch of conferences and and uh, you know we, we looked that you know, guys like uh, uh, what's it Ron Paul you know he he will you know anywhere from twenty five till fifty. And you know, I would rather pay eight hundred thousand to him than you know. Anybody. But it's it's the amount, you know. It's it's nothing about that, you know. It's a payoff. She actually got paid. It's yeah, it's a payoff, you know. Like it's like here you go, you know. For it's like you, you pay uh, pay homage to the to the don or you know the, to the leader, you know, of the mafia. Yeah, <laughs> that's it, exactly it, what it is. It's it's a good way of transferring money in, out in the yeah. open where everybody can see it, but it, it, you can't. It doesn't. You can't prove that it was a payoff yeah. or. A, a reward or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, no. I, I, the game is also played with with authors. You know, some president yep. or secretary of state is going to write a book, and they get yeah, a five hundred thousand dollar advance. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the book yeah. doesn't sell, but the yeah. author got the advance, and so too bad about that. <laughs> yeah, that's no, it's a, it's very good schemes. You know, they they got this down to the teeth. But I think more and more people are just looking straight through this and especially because like on today like not not a lot of the kids uh, you know are even on YouTube they're on a whole bunch of other social media network I found out you know, talking to my siblings uh, and they don't really care about Facebook or YouTube or or Twitter even you know they're most of them are awful there and they're doing their own thing in alternate universes almost you know so they, uh, but they're aware of what's happening, and uh, and I think they're starting to really wake up now, uh, and and this time it's different. I think this kind of empowered them, uh, you know, instead of the sitting there and protesting the Wall, uh, Occupy Wall Street movement. This time they actually, you know, they did something to really damage those bastards, <laughs> yes. and uh, you know it's fun. Uh, I would like to see uh, somebody like you with a little investigative skills to check out something I'm picking up, sort of as a rumble. Uh, I heard, and I haven't confirmed this, but I heard that it was BlackRock, actually, that that brought these funds down that, that, with their huge. Uh, oh, so they joined. Funds. They joined the bet potentially on the on the one side. Is that what you're well, thinking? Well, uh, well, what I'm hearing is yeah. that that the the bet was actually a cover, and it was really BlackRock that was doing it. But they didn't want anybody to know that, so they thought, well, t- let let them think it was the the young people doing it, catching oh, yeah. on, and so mm. forth. Now I thought, oh, isn't that oh. interesting? Uh, and that really makes a little sense because BlackRock, <laughs> of course, has a lot more money. Has a, it's the largest investment operation in the world, I think. So if they move a lot of money, they might want to uh, have a cover for it. So it's something to check into. I don't know. I haven't. I yeah, haven't definitely, that'd be interesting. But mm-hmm. I like from what I've seen so far, you know, with uh, the Robinhood usage and and all this stuff, like the. Uh, 
uh, it seems to be like that it's, you know, the millennials that actually did this because now they're actually coming in and they're locking them down. You know, they can't even buy shares. Uh, like, they can buy only one GameStop share now at a time. So basically, the game is like, well, you know what? Uh, you know, it's fine for, uh, you know, Wall Street and the hedge funds to go out and do mass amounts of margin purchases and, and buy, you know, millions of shares. But you, little peasant, you can only buy one share. And so, and so I actually came after Robinhood, and they uh, there was one hundred thousand reviews of the Robinhood app. You know that's on uh, on Apple, and they actually downloaded them. So they went from four point five percent on uh, the rating down to one percent. Well, then Google so that, actually then removed yeah, Google them. Dele- yeah, Google deleted them. On top of that. <laughs> so the, these guys are very pissed. There was a guy he flew a. Um, he he flew a banner over to Robinhood uh, uh, headquarters on the plane, and it said Robinhood sucks nuts. <laughs> so, was, well, the thing is, I mean, Robinhood you know, was yeah. supposed to be taken from the rich to give to the poor, but Robinhood's real. Oh, it's a total the real. The real customers are the hedge funds that they're doing the order flow from. But it is. It also yeah. highlights how antiquated the entire financial system is because it has to do with trading a stock then waiting two days for the stock to settle i mean they have the technology now through the blockchain where that could be done immediately instantly and so it also do with different capital requirements and so there are some legitimate reasons i may hate like defending Robinhood here but there are some legitimate reasons of capital things that they needed to do and and having you know basically no buffer in terms of liquidity like writing things up but i mean but people if you're getting something for free you know you are the product and so if you're getting stock trades for free they're either yeah. making commu- they're either making some sort of commission on the bid ass yeah, you're or the product something so, on the back end yeah. that's doing but, they but, sold but, it to high frequency trading firms right so well, it's pretty obvious uh also what's what's happening with with you know this whole whole thing too is it really shows the true colors you know it's never Robin it was never about you know the the little peasants uh it, it was the total opposite it's like that Orwellian double speak you know like it's like ha ha you know look at you silly peasants you thought you had had some power you know it's 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 really funny how uh Wall Street always you know has the upper hand but you know, you never know because now you're seeing riots all across Europe, everywhere. You know, it was quiet for a while because they were banned from doing riots, but now it's popping up back again because they're on the third lockdown now in Europe. They had a lockdown in, in Australia. There was uh, one person got uh, supposed COVID and they locked down two million people. Well, speaking <laughs> so, of yeah. fighting back, you can't, very angry. You, you can't buy physical silver today. Like like today, like all the different yeah, brokers yeah. I go to, they oh, yeah. are not placing orders for physical silver right now because they're, it's just, you know, things were, the market action is too crazy. So that could no, be one out, way for- They're out of silver. They're out yeah. of silver. They've sold all, all yeah. they had, other than what they wanted to retain for their own, you know, their own purposes. But the, uh, yeah. yeah, I watched that go down. It, it happened over in, in about a day, actually, unless the real action happened oh, yeah. in just a few hours. And- uh, so they, uh, I have a friend that called me last night. He said, yeah, I called my broker and he said, uh, I was able to get uh, whatever the quantity was, is a fairly good quantity. He said, I called back uh, two hours later to see, uh, to check on the order. And I found out that they were already, they were sold out. <laughs> that was in two hours. So uh, yeah. uh, it happened very quickly. But um, Yeah, and it'll, it'll be interesting. 
Go ahead. Interesting uh, to see what's, what this is, you know, so, such a bigger uh, thing that it's really like what they see is like the, the whole silver uh, short squeeze that they're talking about. You know, there's such a massive amount of people that are betting against silver that are pushed down the price to silver that mm -hmm. I think this is like if they could pull this off, you know, this is going to be the probably the one that takes down the whole financial system for good. Uh, if they can, you know, fight the what's called the silver squeeze, short, short squeeze, uh, you know, with the massive, you know, about they they believe that you know if if you do the numbers, it's about thousand dollars, you know, that silver should be if you inflationary, uh, if you calculate it by real inflation, um, and, and of course, you know, gold with paper, you know. Yeah, with the, with the paper that they have, you know, they're they're getting in trouble. But you're seeing the real thing. Like I look at, you know, here in Canada as well. We're not as bad, but the premium right now is seven eight dollars for, uh, you know, our billions uh, here in Canada, which is unheard of. Usually it's like one to two dollars. Uh, so you're seeing the the massive shortage that is starting to happening. And who knows where this is gonna, you know, go over the next couple of days. We might it might just blow off, or it it might end up being, you know, the uh, the final silver bullet to the to the vampires <laughs> on Wall Street. Yeah, well, I think we can pretty well anticipate that they'll stop trading before that happens. Remember, they that's basically I think what they did with the Hunt brothers, wasn't yep. it? They yep. they they were they were attacking the uh, the big funds and they were buying up silver like crazy and they just stopped <clears> the market, <throat> as I recall. I mean, they, inter they intervened and said, hey, you can't play our game. We own this this board. You can't play on our board. So they just froze the market. And there you have it. There's, there's the people say, oh, we're, we we got a free enterprise system here in America. No, we don't. It's totally controlled. Anytime they want to stop a market or adjust a market or buy into the market or whatever they do to uh, distort the market, they do it every day. It's funny when you. Well, it's you funny think? when you uh, you take a look at all the different things that we've prognosticated throughout the years of what could finally bring down the system. And I never, my, out of all the things I thought about, I never in a million years thought it was uh, basically millennials on a Reddit forum who were buying a basically bankrupt video game retailer during a pandemic that would be in a short squeeze against the hedge funds that then created liquidity problems throughout the system. I never thought that that was going to be like a linchpin. So it is funny that, you know, we can have all the prognostication and what's going to be the black swan. And then we come up with something like this that probably nobody in, in a million years could have thought of to be the linchpin for all this. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and what you're seeing too, like with the silver, there's actually like, I, I talked to local guys here uh, as well. They're saying that there's massive lineups outside of our silver retailers that I know who, who are and, and so on here in the city. So, uh, you know, it's happening uh, pr probably around the world because now we got the internet and uh, a lot of people are, uh, you know, maybe they'll do some education when they buy that physical silver and maybe they'll, you know, pick up Ed's book or, uh, maybe my book or something else to actually like understand it's like wow what is happening here you know uh, because people will wake up here there's going to be a lot more people waking up from all of this stuff being involved in you know the 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 frenzy you know there's going to be people waking up to reality and, and the problem you know, is though do they wake up and, and run to is... another collective though that's the issue i mean they run from one collective to another collective and, oh, and for sure, so yeah. that's where i'm not as optimistic well, that's and, and, what Ed is there for. That's that's why we that's got Ed. That's why I'm here. That exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I leave it up to bigger brains than mine to worry about what the market is going to do and how you play it and so forth. All I know is that we've got to change the uh, the, the prevailing system, the 
prevailing system right now is collectivism worldwide. And as long as it's that way, I mean, we are bumping our heads against it because it's not going to change. But once people understand that fundamental ideology at the basis of all of their, of their political and economic uh, spheres of activity, and they realize that collectivism is the enemy, and they're, not, they're just going to continue to lose whatever they have left, of their assets and their liberty and their privacy and now possibly even their humanity because they're out to get that too. They're out to change the way we think and to poison our bodies and to create mood changes through chemistry and electronic signals and so forth. I mean, they're out to get everything we we have as an individual human being and that's all made possible by the underlying philosophy of collectivism which is as you guys know it's that you can do whatever you want to as long as you can claim that it's for the greater good so as long as that's the basis of collectivism the greater good of the greater number and they all they all of these things that we are complaining about are justified in the minds of of the the dominant class and, and to a large extent, they convince the, the victims into thinking that way, too. It's for their own good that I give up my liberty in order to, to protect myself and my family from terrorism or a, a virus or whatever we're supposed to be afraid of. So, yeah, yeah that's my job is to, is to do everything I can to get people to thinking a little bit deeper underneath these issues to understand that none of this would be possible if we lived in a, in a system based on the principle of individualism. So that's my job, and uh, thanks for bringing that to my attention. I, that's what I do every morning. I wake up and I think, how can I strike another blow against collectivism? And uh, usually I can tap it a little bit, nudge it, but we need a lot more soldiers in the field to bring it down. Uh, my, my last name translates to foot soldier in Italian, so there we go. But, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but no, we are seeing you know this basically call by people like John Brennan. I'm not sure if you saw that recently where John Brennan came out and said that something along the lines of, you know, we've got all these fascists and authoritarians and libertarians and, you know, obviously throwing people like Oath Keepers and Three Percenters and, you know, basically anybody that's pretty much watching this into this, you know, sort of new terrorist or like the new Al Qaeda class because we don't go along with all their BS. And do you just, I mean, I sort of see between that and the digital dollar that they're trying to foist upon us. And, and it really seems like that the digital dollar is going to be here within, in my estimation, probably the next three to four years, they're going to roll this out or have some sort of stimulus that then gets tied to getting a sort of like a Federal Reserve dock of, you know, coin that they, that they try to roll out. At that point, is it going to be a little bit too late for us to do anything? Because if they all of a sudden, you know, well, A, you know, a lot of us probably aren't keeping our money in the bank. But, you know, at that point, are they going to cut us off from the banking system, cut us off from, you know, any stimulus? Not that I'm, you know, hoping on that anyways. But, uh, you know, once we get to that point where they have the 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 currency that's completely controlled centrally, you know, through, uh, you know, centrally controlled blockchain, is it really... Is it sort of like game over? Because for me, that's the number one thing I'm trying to fight against is that mark of the beast type system they're trying to roll out. And, and after reading your book is where I really started to uh, you know notice that. But do you see, see that we're on like this precipice right now where it's either going to shift one way or another, and that's sort of uh, you know going to be like the defining fight, at least of you know basically of, of our generation right now? Well, I don't think it's ever too late. Uh, 
but that's not really what you're asking. You're just saying, have it, will we have gone so far that in order to escape it would would require such great pain and suffering that it's unthinkable, you know? And um, so that's really the question. There, it's never too late. And I think if we learn anything from history, it's that civilizations have gone through cycles of great oppression. Maybe they didn't have all the technology that they have today, mm-hmm. but they had total total means of controlling the people at the point of a sword. And uh, and even in, in my lifetime, I could see that uh, you know, during World War II, uh, the Nazis and um, the uh, Italian fascists and the communists uh, were already in full bloom by that time. And they were controlling their people. Yes, it's true, they already had perfected the idea of propaganda and working on the minds and the loyalties of people, but still the basic mechanism of control was primarily the sword and fear of physical pain and punishment and death. But um, so, and, and the people who, who lived under those systems, and you go back even further to ancient Rome, uh, there were people who lived under tyranny and they knew it, but they couldn't speak out against it. The word would get out that they were enemies of the state, so to speak, or of the crown or the, or the emperor, and uh, they would pay for their lives. So, um, and it, it seems like if we look at history at the long view, we see that these cycles have always worked through. Somehow, somehow there's enough indignation and revulsion throughout the whole system that even those at the top begin to break away. And what we now call whistleblowers become uh, enemies of their own, of themselves or their own class, however you want to speak of it. Like I think of Yuri Bezmenov. Everybody's heard of him now, the the KGB defector that I interviewed uh, back in the '60s. He came from a, a privileged family. His father was a general in the Soviet army. He was born into luxury. He had all the privileges. He didn't even have to work. And, and he was in the KGB at, you know, limousines and air travel and the finest food and whatever he wanted. And yet he defected from the system at great risk to his life because he couldn't take it anymore to see such injustice uh, inflicted by his own, his own class, so to speak. So there are always those things that happen. And I think that what we're going to see, I hope at least, but I also think, honestly think, that as this thing becomes more obvious, there are going to be people more and more people on the inside who will just come on and say, look, I'm not going to participate in this anymore. And uh, first of all, they'll start leaving it. And secondly, they're going to start turning against it. And then there will be internal struggles and it'll fall apart. And then there'll be great suffering across the board. And maybe foreign nations and systems will try and pick up the pieces and conquer and, and slaughter and plunder. I think the Chinese would just love to, to uh, see the United States uh, prostrate on the ground before their soldiers. I think they'd love it because they, they've always felt for a long time that the United States was enemy number one. And so we, we have to, we can't ignore these things. These, these are real. And it can be very, very bad. But now, if you look at the long view, get outside of your own skin and say, well, that's not going to, I know 100 years from now is not going to help me any. All right, no, it won't. But if you're thinking in the long view that it will help society, it'll help your grandchildren and your great-great-grandchildren and the children of people you don't even know, if you think in terms of being a human and part of the human race and having a feeling of what is right and wrong, then you, then you can, I found out, I can go to bed at night, and even though things are horrible, 
I have a smile on my face because I thought, hey, well, today I put another brick in the foundation of a new system that's going to be full of, of liberty and understanding and, and privacy and prosperity and camaraderie, brotherhood, peace and justice. So just to be part of that process is very rewarding. And uh, so the short answer to your question is that, uh, yes, I do think it's going to happen. No, it's not going to happen quickly. And there's going to be one hell of a price to pay in the meantime. But that's why we're here. We're here, is to, we're here to participate in this transition. So ultimately, the Great Reset is, I mean, it sounds like hopefully is going to fail. And because, you know, there's only so much they can push it. I mean, you, you had mentioned, too, about making this obvious. I mean, I don't know how much more obvious they can make it now with saying, you know, last week we need two masks and three masks and four masks. And, oh, in China, you need to get, like, anal swabs for your PCR test. I mean, they're making it. And at this point, it's so <laughs> over the top ridiculous that I can't believe. It's almost like the powers that not be are trying to just see how far they can push it and see, okay, can we get them to do this? We know that's part of it. We know that, that they constantly push and then when they get too much push back, then they they retreat a little bit. Never says, Oh well, we sure showed them, you know. And they get their people together, okay, this is how we did it wrong. Next time we're gonna do it this way and we're gonna make sure this happens first and then six months later they're back at it again, you know? Yeah. So yep, yeah, that's how they work. They're very shrewd people. Yeah, and you, you'd also mentioned uh, the, the punishment was a sword. And so, you know, you got guys like, like uh, was it uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski who back in the day, you know, said that it was far, actually it wasn't even that long ago, it said that it was far easier to control a million people than it was to kill a million people. And then I think before he passed away, it said it was now it's far easier to kill a million people than to control a million people. So the powers of BC that things are coming down. It's just, you know, whether or not how crazy things get and you know, will they be willing to kill millions of people in order to try to get their agenda through? But, you know, luckily this is waking people up to an extent that I've never seen. But so, sorry, John, what were you saying? Yeah, and, and people like f find, you know, and, and see this for what it is. It, it's just like a cycle, as I said, where you have the cycle from what I call decentralization of governance to centralization of governments. And, and money is attached to that, you know, throughout history, you got, you know, even in the U.S. history, you had, you know, the central banks, then you had, you know, local uh, banks that, you know, was, uh, you know, issued by corporation, money that was issued by corporation and so on. So this keeps on going. And, and for example, you know, the French Revolution, you had like, it, it was almost like tyranny, you know, the, the, the leaders, but then uh, you got Napoleon in and he was even worse, you know, a dictator. Uh, after that. And but then, you know, France uh, took it a little bit easy. But uh, over time, you know, these cycles, you know, play their way out throughout history and, and, and also empires, you know, you're talking about that at when they're weak and uh, and especially when their currency is weak, you know, that's when, you know, conquerors attack, for example, in 10 uh, about I think it was 1120 something. Uh, it was the uh, the Mongols came in and uh, attacked the uh, Chinese Song uh, Dynasty Empire uh, that had a currency that was collapsing because they created too much credit uh, and it was you know at peak credit and then the valley started to fall apart and and society and, and the empire started to lose its power because of the printing. So the Mongols came in, but what did the Mongols do? Well, they came and used the same exact system. <laughs> <laughs> the, which became then the Qin Dynasty, and so that failed again. And, and it's just these cycles, you know, of uh, basically printing and centralization. But what has 
become more obvious, you know, uh, over the last, I, I would say, probably like a couple hundred years, you know, ever since the United States was uh, created, is that people uh, are seeing more that individual part of that cycle, you know, the, the more decentralization of that cycle, I think is going to be more empowered now and, and more bigger than it was before, because before there wasn't this thought of, you know, like the, uh, the individual as, you know, powerhouse uh, of, of the world. So I think that's going to, you know, really come back and it's going to become a lot more powerful this time, that, that cycle, but be more you know we're moving towards you know more and more tyranny but when that breaks you know that's when we might see you know very powerful wave of uh, of decentralization coming in uh to to the world uh, world you know economy who knows if there's ever going to be any nation states anymore uh maybe there's just you know local uh citizens you know living freely among everybody and and everybody had tiny little communities that they run but everybody communicates uh, through the global you know internet that we have uh, and you know, nation states is full, you know, because we couldn't trust that anymore. But who, who knows where it's going to take us? You know, it's uh, it, it's quite a you know uh, cycle that we're embarking on uh, right now, and I think it's going to be uh, very, very interesting to say the least. Well, you know, John, what you said is very interesting because at several levels. But you mentioned earlier that uh, when one Chinese dynasty was overthrown by another, nothing really changed except the yeah. names of the emperor because they adopted the same system. And that's really back to, we were joking, but I was not totally joking about it. Yeah, that's why we're here, you know. We've got to, we've got to awaken people to the need not only to overthrow or change the, the emperor and get a new emperor, a new name in, on the throne, but we have to look at the system that the emperor has yeah. to work in. And we have to understand. We have to understand it's not just these personalities. I mean, these guys can die of old age, or they can kill each other. But that just leaves a vacancy for somebody waiting, who exactly like them, to move into the void. So we yeah. have to think about the void, not so much who's you know who's at the top. We have to think about the system, the, the power that they have, and we have to work on that because sure, there are a lot of people out there who would love to be the emperor, and uh, if if you don't think about putting restraints on them. Or as Jefferson would say, you know, bind uh, men down with the chains of the Constitution. If you don't think about that aspect of it, you'll never. You can you can lose a lot of blood, and you can lose a lot of soldiers, and you can have a, a grim fight, but you'll never come out ahead because you'll just be replacing one despot with another. Yeah, and they're, they're getting worse over time. You know, like here in Canada, look at the clown that we have here called Justin Trudeau. You know. Uh, what he's done, I, and I just had to share a picture here, uh, if I can, Tim. I, I'm just going to share a picture because this is from when me and uh, me and Josh actually and our friend John we were protesting, you know, against Bill C-51, which was our uh, Patriot Act here in Canada, where they started to, uh, you know, come after us as individuals because of our speech and you know transgender. Uh, you know, talking bad about them, that you need to address them by the 42 uh, pronouns that they have. There was a whole bunch of uh, uh, anti-Muslim rhetoric that if you said anything that had to do with Muslims, you could end it up, you know, in, in prison as well. Uh, so that that has happened here already, and it's coming. And as you can see here, I'm I'm holding a little sign saying that you know I'm I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> over here and. And, and you know that's uh, that's so important uh, because if if we don't uh, you know stand up and and tell people you know and, and give us that, our view that 
you know ed has been doing for many many decades uh we we will end up as those terrorists you know if we can't tell people about our views and have a have a discussion with them and wake them up because if uh if we don't you're gonna have the government running us into the ground into concentration camps uh yeah. uh that's what they would if you really let them get what they want you know so we, we always got to stand up and you know always uh be very loud uh, and always create new solutions for communicating with people around the world. I agree with that totally, John. Except I would, I would be cautious about the word loud. Uh, it, loud in terms of uh, making sure we can be heard, yes. But if loud yeah. also means a little bit obnoxious and over, oh yeah, over, no, yeah, <laughs> that's not then yeah, we, no. we, we pull yeah, that out of it. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to insult no. the people, even though they're no. on the other side. Most of those people are, you know, they're brainwashed. They they're convinced that what they're yeah. doing is the right thing, and we don't want to start poking them and say, "Hey, yeah. you're stupid. You don't got to listen to me now," because then that drives them into a yeah, hard, using the same them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, speaking of the emperor now, we've got the emperor now that's surrounded by I mean, the most popular president ever, surrounded by barbed wire fence and 30,000 troops to go. I mean, it's like a scene out of the Hunger Games. Uh, but did any of you see recently, uh, it was like a few days ago, they were asking, the, I forgot the new press secretary's name, but they were asking her about liquidity problems in the system and you know having all these different brokers shutting down different accounts and GameStop and Wall Street Bets. And her response was something like, and John oh, yeah. talking about transgenders reminded me of this. Her response was, well, did you just see that we just nominated the first ever woman uh, treasury secretary? We've got plenty of other, other women that are going to be joining her as, you know, helping her out. And so we we're talking about the liquidity <laughs> crisis. And, and her response was, well, we just hired a woman. Like, <laughs> so, I don't know. And it's nothing against women, but it's just that, like. That's on the same scale, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess if we're counting Janet Yellen as a woman. No, but, it, uh, no I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know what's really funny though is that Janet Yellen was also the lady that said that you know we'll ever uh, never see a recession in our lifetime, uh, and uh, you know to her for uh, her own thing though it was apparently it was reported that she had a urinary tract infection at that time, so she might have been a little bit delusional. But again, you know, it, it comes back like she is uh, probably uh, even as corrupt as uh, Ben Bernanke, probably the same, even worse. Uh, and, you know, like she's this cute little granny, you know, running around and, uh, and talking very, uh, you know, nicely. You can <laughs> and, speak for yourself when it comes really to cute. But no. <laughs> no, yeah. no, but it's she. Yeah, she's this old little granny, you know, like she reminds me almost of my uh, of my mother-in-law. You know, a very sweet old lady, and but when when you see it, like she's an evil, evil person, uh, and she she knows it, but you know she portrays herself so wonderfully, you know, and uh, and people like look at her and they see no threat, you know, and I think that's why they're putting in a lot of women right now, uh, especially in the defense uh, contractors. All of the CEOs are women right now, uh, because yeah, it's so great, you know, it's women, but they're still murdering people uh, around the world. You know, like yeah, it's the policies. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So okay. that has nothing to do. You know, this whole women thing has nothing to do at all with you know the quality of person that's in that position. It has all to do with their you know intent and and what that organization does in the first place. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm delighted to see qualified women in positions of authority yeah. and responsibility because you know. 
let's face it, I, I admire women for the traits that they have that are different than the male traits. And, and most women, not all, but most women are, are more introspective, I think, than most men. I think they're more sensitive to human values. They're, they're the, they have a built-in instinct. I'll be condemned for saying that, but I believe it's true. They have a built-in instinct to, to want to protect the helpless and the young. Uh, you know, they're, they raise children. They give birth to children. It's got instinct has to support that biological role. So they're more sensitive to human values than men. And uh, but men have other uh, traits that are also. Uh, perhaps that they have stronger values than the women in terms of of um, being quick to act and uh, and I better not get into this because somebody's going to complain about my analysis I'll just summarize by saying that <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll just summarize by saying that thank God that men and women are different and each one each gender has yeah. traits that are superior to the others and so, uh, but, but when it yeah. comes to being qualified to run for political office, I don't think it makes any difference at all. It's You're not allowed to say that either. You're not allowed yeah, to say there's only yeah. two genders or yeah. you know, differences. You know, now that might get us kicked off YouTube if you admit that there's differences between men and women. But it seems like all these positive traits for women, the women who get in power, and just anybody that gets in power, man or woman, yeah. uh, it's always the evil people and the people that want power and dominate you it's not that i mean oh, yeah. Kamala harris is not the sensitive grandmother type i mean yeah, he's yeah. obviously somebody that would you know it's like great that now we have the first you know uh you know brown vice president woman that's going to be dropping bombs on people all across the world i'm sure all the i'm sure some of the people will be loving that yeah well that's a sociological discussion and and we don't want to get into that because there'd be no. some professors that well you know it's because they live in a masculine world and they have to you know survive and they've been conditioned by their culture and da 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 da, da. so yeah that's anyway. a very long discussion that, <laughs> yeah. yeah that would take hours yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. let's not get into that today <laughs> yeah i i just repeat yeah. i i'm so glad that women are different than men i'd hate it if they were just like men <laughs> be nothing more boring. well that's what that's what governments <laughs> wants though it is you know the whole collective thing is you know everybody's got to be the same yeah. you know that's uh, what it awful, seems you know a they horrible all, thought. yeah it's a horrible thought oh, oh my god oh, i i couldn't take it it's it'd be like a horrible society to live in you yeah. know and uh like how can how can you like live in a society where you can't you know use your thoughts to philosophize to uh you know uh try to do things with your life you i i couldn't you know be able to live in life where i had to just be like equal to everybody else i i, I love to achieve things and do things with my life and i don't want to be sitting on a couch somewhere and just watch tv or or just go to one job and do one single thing every day i couldn't i couldn't stand it so I, i'm gonna fight tooth and nail until i die yeah, well, so, some you know, people like that john some people thrive yeah. on that you know? oh that's fine yeah yeah but that's and, fine yeah yeah <laughs> I know a lot of people that uh, they wouldn't change a job for anything, no matter how much they disliked it, because that well, that, that I'd have to get used to a whole new a new routine, you know. I'd yep. have to work for somebody else I didn't like, or whatever their reasoning <laughs> yeah. is. And that's part of the whole crux that people would rather take, you know, convenience rather than their own, than value their own privacy or value their own, you know, I don't want to say safety, but it just seems like a lot of times we've we're seeing this 
erosion of rights because people would just rather be convenient. And I think in, in a previous uh, answer to a question, you had talked about different, you know, serfs and and the one thing we have different. I mean, I almost strive to become a serf someday because you know a serf is only getting taxed, uh, you know, a very low percentage compared to today. So like right now we're getting, you know, it's it's. I mean, I'm not sure what the. I mean, I'm sure it depended where you lived and what you know fiefdom you were living underneath, but most of those fiefdoms are probably taking 10, 15, 20 percent of your value that was created and not, you know, 40, 50, depending on what state that, that you're in right now. So it's like someday, and I, I heard Peter Schiff mentioned this before, uh, that, you know, he strives to become a serf someday because then he'll only get had, you know, uh, you know, 10 percent, 15 percent extracted from him. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but, but that's it, like even if you're a surf in Norway. Sorry, even if you're a surf in Norway, where I'm from, it's thirty six percent. So there you go. <laughs> but you know, I'm interested in yeah, what's so the next a, next event you've got coming. If you can let us know about the next event you've got coming up, or if, are, are there more yeah. red pills in the in the works? The last one, I just want to say for this, the last one was probably put on about like a two month heads up. I think people weren't. A lot of people are probably telling you you shouldn't do it or, you know, not sure if anyone's going to show up to it. And I went to it and it was, you know, packed, uh, you know, auditorium, that conference room, the speakers. A lot of times I don't even listen to speakers because I feel like I know a lot of the different subjects depending on what conference I'm going to. But this one, I sat through almost every single speaker, learned stuff. I mean, we had guys like Dr. Andrew Kaufman there was breaking down the PCR test and how much of a scam that was and Koch's postulate. And I learned a lot there. And then, you know, uh, Del Bigtree rocked the house, Robert Kiyosaki. It was just, you know, a who's who there. And, and uh, a lot of it was dedicated to exposing the coronavirus but you know can you let us know what you might have planned for a future red pill and how you want to help awaken humanity with future events that you're going to be putting on sir yeah thanks timmy we have a lot of plans for the future of red pill because that's our part of our operation outreach where we reach out to people who haven't really had it maybe they haven't been awakened to the problem very long and they haven't had a lifetime like i have and some of the old timers to study this thing and it's, everything is new to them and they're looking, they're truth seekers in that honest sense of the word. And they sense that there might be something that we have that is something they need to know. They're, most of them come with an open mind. We have very few people that come because they, they necessarily sign up with everything that we have in our program. A lot of them are saying, gee, I wonder if that's true. That sounds a little crazy. But they come because they're curious and they can come and check us out. Those are the people we want to talk to, the ones with open minds. And so it's, it's Operation Outreach. And it's, I would rather talk to people who, are, who come with questions and who are a little skeptical than talk to the choir, you know. So that's what Red Pill is all about. And uh, yes, uh, it's, a, it's a way of getting our message out to large numbers of people because this ripples on and on and on. It's not just the people who come, but we live stream it. We had the largest live stream audience that we've ever had this time. And next time it'll be, I'm sure, much, much bigger than that. Yes, it was on Jekyll Island back in October for the last one. And actually, we had, uh, if you count everybody, the exhibitors and uh, all the, the speakers and, uh, and their families and everybody that came, it was about 750 people that were there. It was an amazing crowd, considering we were all supposed to be on lockdown and afraid to go out of our <laughs> houses. So I set out the message, look, stop being afraid, get out, meet people, press the flesh, form coalitions, learn. You can't do all that hiding inside your house. That's why they want to keep you in your house. So the only, the only view of reality you have is through your television or what shows up in your, on your video screen on your computer. That's not reality. That's somebody is 
funneled things out and you just see what you're supposed to see. So if you want to see the real world, get out of your house, get on a train or a plane or get in your car or, or something and, and move around and meet people. So that was kind of the message. And uh, so it was very successful. I was greatly, I was relieved and uh, gratified to see how really successful it was. And the next one is already planned. It's uh, scheduled um, uh, for June 4th, 5th, and 6th. And it'll be in um, Rapid City, South Dakota. Well, what's that all about? Rap what's in Rapid City, South Dakota? Well, first of all, South Dakota is one of the few remaining sane states in the Union where they don't have this universal lockdown going on all over the place. And uh, we are we're assured that, uh, yeah, there, there are certain rules and regulations that are, they have to post on the wall, but it, it, nobody pays any attention to them. You don't have to, if you don't want to wear a mask, you don't wear a mask. You know, if you, if you want to hold hands with your sweetheart, you can hold hands with your sweetheart. You don't have to be six feet away and so <laughs> forth. And so we thought, well, that's pretty good. So we're going to go there and it's only a, about 30 minute drive from Mount Rushmore. So it's kind of scenic and historic. People, many people have never seen Mount Rushmore and would like to see it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, a beautiful piece of the world, especially in, in June. It'll be beautiful weather. Yeah, so, the, the Black Hills are gorgeous down there. It's oh, a very are, good yeah. place to mm -hmm. camp. You know, you really enjoy it if you yeah. go down there. I've been there myself, so it's a beautiful place. It is, yes. So anyway, that's what we decided to do. It. They have a magnificent co conference center there, one of the best I've ever seen. And so it's scheduled. Now, we haven't promoted it yet because we haven't, we haven't seen the contract. We've come to an agreement, but nothing has been signed. And um, I, it's just a matter of a couple of days now when that'll be done. So we're not really you know, promoting it on the internet. Although some people have banged down the doors, so to speak. <laughs> and we've, I looked at my screen the other day and we had three sales already to tickets. So how did they even know about it? But they, mm -hmm. they found out and they're signing up for it already. So uh, I, I can tell you that we'll have uh, absolutely stellar pre presenters again and some I'm collecting these names every time I hear about somebody doing something outstanding I put it in my file we have a, a lot of people to invite that most people have never heard about but they're at the forefront uh, of not only the corona theater but all the you know the monetary theater too and the terrorism theater and uh, and the they're all kind of blending now into the same theater as, uh, as everything yeah. starts to... Uh... The, great, the Great Reset ah. Theater, all these things. So we're going to have a, a, great, uh, a great lineup. And of course, the, to me, the most important thing is not the speakers. And there, uh, I mean, I would, I would walk a million miles to hear some of these guys. But that's not really it. It's the fact that we bring people together from not only all over the continent, but all over the world. Now, that's pretty yeah. hard to do increasingly, but they come anyway. They find a way. Wasn't it you, John, that told me the other day that there's nothing going to stop you from coming to this one, even if you had to quarantine to, for two weeks to get back? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'll, I'll quarantine on a camping spot there uh, uh -huh. if I had to, yeah. Well, I, I, drove, I, I, drove 50, I drove 5,200 miles round trip to go to the other red pill, and that's probably the first see. time in eight or nine years that I've driven uh, that much. And Josh and I are looking to potentially drive to you the next you know, week or so because uh -huh. we've got some people to interview up in California. Uh, but yeah, I was shortchanging you guys. I was, I was telling everybody it was 600 people, and so it was 750. Yeah. But, but did a lot of them die off because nobody was wearing masks? And so you know, I think I saw <laughs> two people wearing masks. So you know, unfortunately, it was a super spreader event, and now all of them are, aren't here anymore. But I I didn't hear any reports of anyone getting sick, no, 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 any anything. Nobody got sick. Uh, 
and the and the two masks that you saw were worn by employees of the conference center, and and not by the attendees. I don't. I didn't see anybody with a mask. Well, I I have a. I have a theory why, you know, I, I don't know anybody in the freedom movement that have been sick yet uh, from this no. COVID thing. And, and you know what's funny? My theory is that, oh, I, I think we pay attention to our health, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, looked at the healthcare system and, and looked at what's available for us. And especially you, Ed, you're, you're doing extremely well. It's like you're turning 90 soon and, and you're running around like a guy in your, uh, you know, 40s. And uh, so I... I, you know, it's it's very important to, uh, I think a lot of us actually, because we take self-care and we are ind- independent individuals and we treat ourselves that way, we try to find solutions to, you know, give ourselves the best possible health care uh, so we're not a burden on society. And uh, I think that would be very important. And I think that's probably one of the number one reasons why, you know, we're not seeing sick people among us. <laughs> it's it's well, because right. we're, you know, really healthy. Uh, there's no question about that, John. Most most of our people are interested in health as much as they're interested in freedom, and they know they know that. W- what good is it to be free if you're sick, and in a, on your yeah. in bed, or have to walk around with a tube up your nose or something? What's good is freedom, and on the other hand, yeah. what good is is health if you're if you're a slave in a slave labor camp? So you've got to have both yeah. of those elements in your life to, to enjoy the fulfillment of being a human being. So our people understand that. And there, and there, another factor is that most of our people have learned the hard way, as I have done to, to learn, to question authority. Because we found out that authorities, especially if they're an authority affiliated with some institution that has a lot of money and a lot of power, and by that I'm talking about governments and large corporations. <laughs> the yep. Authorities in those kinds of institutions are tend to be corrupted by that money uh, tre- treasure trove and the power it gives them. And they become corrupted and they're the authorities. And so I, I've never seen a study on it. I'd love to see it. But I'll bet if an honest objective study was were, were to be made, the heads and the, the executives of of uh, these institutions, big governments and big corporations, you're going to probably find about a, an 85% corruption level there. Uh, whereas out in the general public, yeah. it's probably a, maybe a 5 or 12% corruption level. But corruption seeks money and power. And money and power creates yeah. corruption. So there you, you have it. And so our people are outside of that vicious cycle. Uh, I don't know of anybody that's the head of a big corporation or high-ranking official in the government. They're all just regular people trying to conduct their lives and earn a living for their families, and uh, you know that's about it. And they want to do what is right for themselves and their and the rest of their fellow passengers on this planet called Earth. You know, this spaceship. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think all those things together are why uh, the people I see at our conferences are the healthiest group of people I have ever seen in my life. And you're right, I'm, I'm 89 right now, and I don't feel like I'm over 88. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for, the miss, for the missus dragging you away, I think at one time you were out at 2.30 in the morning, and we were yeah, at, yeah. At, the, at the Jekyll Island, but it was, it was a very well, awesome experience to be at well, the actual Well, that's where all you guys were. All the young guys were out there talking and having a good time, and I'm not going to miss that. Are you kidding? 
Oh no, I uh, I don't know how many times we hung out after like two three a.m. Uh, sometimes I I remember me and Ed being in uh, Las Vegas. We were up until like I think it was like four or five a.m. almost, and uh, uh, one of the ladies had to take the airplane and leave because we were just hanging out there talking. And uh, yeah. that was actually when we planned the Red Pill Expos. You know, yeah. the first one. Yeah, that yeah. lady actually had a room in the hotel, and she never got into it. She yeah. never used it. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Azra, do you have a do you have a theme for this upcoming red pill? Is it just like kind of in the greater reset? Uh, or? Tim, the theme is red pill. Okay, that's yeah. the theme, and within that category, there are all kinds, and it could be, yeah. Now we have done a couple of single theme meetings, but they're not the red pill okay. expos. Yeah, yeah, the best one of those was uh, an inconvenient lie. Uh, you know, about, here right, right behind me. Yeah, so, yeah, in, in Phoenix. right there in, in Phoenix. Yeah. yeah about the hoax of global warming. Uh, that was a, a single theme conference, but the red pill really is our theme. And under that umbrella, there's so many things that can be brought and discussed. And I think it's part of the value of that program is that people don't get just one topic. I mean, a lot of times, uh, even I, myself, when I spend my life pursuing this thing, I'll come across something and I say, gee, I didn't know anything about this, you know? Yep. And so many of our people are coming to the expos because probably a third or more of the topics on a stage are about things they've never heard about before. So if we did just single theme, you know, like global warming or the Great Reset or COVID or whatever it is, it would be, you know, oh, more and more and more the same thing, same, same, same thing. But this, this way we've got probably on an average of 15 or 20 different topics, all of which are equally fascinating. Yeah, one of the speakers you had that was more of like a, a different topic, but I thought it was a fascinating subject. And I, I, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she was talking about how to grow basically sustainable food on a small yes. plot of land and how you could have, you know, how, yeah. you know rabbits versus yeah. chickens versus doing this thing versus doing that thing. And it was really, uh, you know, how you could create enough calories to be able to sustain yourself on a very small plot of land. And I yeah. thought that that was one of the more valuable things because it's not the... Uh, all the financial stuff that we're always talking about all day. It's not all the other red pill stuff. It's a, it's a solution. Hey, you know, the real anarchy really being yeah. the system is becoming self-reliant. So I really, you know, thank you for having her on uh, the stage to help wake people up. And I was like, Oh, I maybe need to try some rabbit now. I don't know. I've never, never had rabbit before. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Things that you can raise in your own backyard if you have a backyard. And she even went further. Yeah. So if you don't have a backyard, there's certain things you can, you can raise on your windowsill or out on your, uh, you know, if you have a little ledge or something, you can grow quite a bit of food. At least, maybe not enough yeah. to completely sustain yourself, but enough to make a difference between being really hungry, and um, and, yeah. and therefore not be able. But to think do about anything. the mm -hmm. Yeah, but think about the power. Huh? You know, I, I'm an avid gardener. I love gardening. I have massive plot, and you know, think about if everybody did a little bit. You know, it would be like night and day. You know, there would be no need for a central government telling us that we're going to fix poverty, but we never fix it. <laughs> you know, fix people it. would be able yeah. to give. You know, well, the, of yeah, yeah. Look, let's let's <laughs> be honest. If 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 they ever found if the uh, cancer uh, if the uh, American Cancer Society, let's say, ever took some of that <laughs> billions of dollars that they collect and actually used it to find a cure for cancer, they'd all be out of a job. Oh, hundred percent, they all would. All those people. Yeah, that's why they don't. Yeah, yeah, it would be suicide to find a cure for cancer if you're employed by the American Cancer Society and any other, uh, you know, any other charity that's going to solve some problem. If they ever solve it, they put themselves out of a job. So you can be sure they're not going to do it. 
it's it, it's like uh, oh we got a homeless problem in Los Angeles and so we form a, a uh, an agency uh, for the homeless people, and they've got that the agency's got three people in it, and their budget is uh, eighty thousand dollars. And they they put up some shelters, and they provide some food, and it's great that these people are getting served. But they send the word out to their cousins back in Missouri, and they by the end of the year, the this homeless population has now doubled. Well, now the agency has to get more funding. So they double their budget, and they now they have six people or nine people on the committee and on the agency, and the number of homeless has tripled. And by the next year, it's tripled again, and they have to have a bigger budget and more uh, bureaucrats to service this, and it just grows and feeds upon itself. And they wouldn't, if, they, if these agencies were to solve the homeless problem, well, they'd all have to go find another job, and they're not going to do that. They're just going to create the problem and look like they're solving it, and so they can justify more budget and more people and staff, and and then more more homeless are coming in, and more people are becoming homeless because it's easier to be homeless and get taken care of than to work. So that's how it works. Yeah, and then they don't. I mean, I often wonder, like, how come in Phoenix we just don't just have orange trees, you know, everywhere, and that the homeless could go eat oranges or grapefruits or other, you know citrus trees that grow here I mean, they've made things illegal and oh because of hoas and different ordinances you can't have orange plots orange trees because then they could get on the ground and it could look bad or i mean it's just and then you can't collect rainwater because that's illegal and you can't and it's just everything is to then get people to suck off the government teat more and like oh that's i've it. got a now i've got, got a it. yeah i've got a, a a hydroponic tower garden that i you know got growing in my house but yet because i right now i'm in between places and don't have a uh, a plot of land right now but you know there's things that you could do. like instead of giving everybody welfare checks or food stamps you could have encourage people to go have community gardens but it's all it's all about getting people just dependent on the system instead of taking back that sovereignty from yourself but it's just maddening that in 2021 that we're in a situation where there isn't those things that are already out there for the communities there there aren't orange trees that I could just go off and, you know, pick some fruit from in Phoenix because they've made it illegal and it's ordinances and things like that. And it's just maddening that, you know, you have all these liberals that want to help people, but it's always helping people from some bureaucratic, you know, think tank, round table, you know, ribbon cutting thing to look at how, you know, virtuous we are stealing your money and giving money over there to then have them go to the grocery store to buy a GMO crap. And it's just, you know, I'm, ra- I'm ra- rambling now because we already know the answer is, you know, just taking your own self-reliance on everything. And, and uh, you know, is there, but is there anything else, that, you know, front and center for you that, you know, you want to, you know, leave with the, the people to, you know, help get some optimism about what's going on? And, and you know, because for, especially for us, you know, in our 30s or we might even have some people that might even be 25, uh, you know, or, or younger who are listening to this, you know, what type of optimism do you see for, you know, the younger generation, the millennials who are out there to, you know, be able to get a, a better world for our kids and grandkids someday. Well, I think you've already created the introduction to my remarks by what you said a moment ago. You're welcome. That's and, okay. and that is that, and that is that the trend has been to discourage people from discovering the value of being self-reliant. The trend has been to get people to think it's the natural and proper thing to depend on the state for everything. And um, that's why it's so so annoying to hear, John, you say that all of your, your friends and, and your family, or not all of them, but many of them are getting these checks now, and they don't have to go to work, and so they're sitting around all day long communicating, and that communicating is good. But now, now they're dependent on the state for those checks. 
So if they start saying things in their mm -hmm. communications that the state doesn't like, they'll get a notice that if you keep this up, you're not going to get your check anymore. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. all of a sudden, even good people who know better, if they're dependent on the state, become neutralized. That they're, they're, They can't do anything about it or they'll starve. Uh, it's not anymore the bayonet. It, it's not that they're necessarily going to put you in a camp and work you to death. They're just going to make sure you can't buy food or shelter or you can't go anywhere. You don't have any means of transportation. You can't buy clothes. You can't do anything. So that's what we're coming up against. So the, the self-reliant thing is more important than most people think. And uh, so with that in mind, that's the introduction because what we're doing over on the red pill side uh, is, to cr is to set in motion a mechanism whereby we can communicate this importance of self-reliance. Another way of saying that is individualism, that, that's part of that package, to the world. And the Red Pill Expo, as important as it is, is only one part of that. It's very important because it's the outreach. It's how we find new people and, and, and we break past the choir and we go even past the, the people in the pews. We go out the door to the people on the street and we're out of the out of our own little sphere of influence and we go out and meet people we've never met before. That's a very important part of the Red Pill Expo. But now after that, there's a, something we call Red Pill University. And that's now, you asked me what advice I would give. I would urge anybody who's interested in following up on this kind of an idea of what do you do to create a better world? I would urge them to spend some time, budget maybe an hour, and come to redpilluniversity.org and splash around on that website because what you'll find there is not only a lot of great information that you're not going to find anywhere else, uh, but you'll find the machinery, uh, the mechanism is in place to create what we call campuses, which are little groups of people we hope to have one in every county in the United States and outside of the United States in every province or whatever the geographical counter point would be is groups of people who can become active we call them boots on the ground can become active in their community and begin to actually influence local politics if we don't convert our knowledge and our our resolve and our dedication and all of our efforts, if we don't convert that into political action, then we'll never get influence or control of those levers of power, the police power, the military, the coercion elements of society. That's If we can't influence those things through through constitutional, legal, and, and ethical means, which is the, you know, the, the legislative process, then we're just wasting our time because we'll never have power to bring any of this about. So where do you start with that? Most people say, well, gee, we got to find out who we got to vote for. Like, we're going to vote for the for president here in the United States. But you're starting at the wrong side. If you, if you see, well, who, what candidates have been chosen for me to select between, <laughs> which is how it works, I have no idea who chose those candidates, how they got to be a candidate. And they never think that, oh, maybe both candidates have the same manager, like two wrestlers, both owned by the same manager. Sometimes they have to go into the ring and fight each other, but they both are being paid by the same manager. It's the same thing in politics. If you wait for, for 
to see who's going to be running for president, and then you have to choose between them or choose between two political parties that both rep are owned by the same manager. And, you know, if you wait for that, you lose because it's all over by that time. When you build a movement, it has to start from the bottom up, not from the top down. And that means you have to determine, be influential in who your sheriff is, who's on your board of education, city council, the county board of supervisors. You've got to select your own candidates. Don't wait to see who's offering themselves to you. You go out and find candidates that you know they have principles. And they're not just saying things to get your vote. You know because you know them and, and their life, what they do and what they believe. And you convince them to run for local office. And you organize teams of people to help them be elected. And you influence all aspects of community life at the local level. This is where you have to build a movement. So this is, this is my message, that if we're really interested in changing the world, we have to start reconstructing the society from the bottom up, not from the top down. And you do that with campuses or some other kind of structure. Uh, there are other organizations that do this sort of thing, and they call them chapters or units or something. But ours are called campuses. And it, so I'm urging you, if this interests you, come to Red Pill University, spend a little time splashing around, and get a feel for what we're trying to do. And then if you like it, sign on, become a patron. And then there's another step that goes to Freedom Force International. It gets to be kind of complicated, but I mean, it's not so complicated. It means that there are different levels for different types of act activity. Pick your spot, take a deep breath and say, here we go. And then jump in and start, start spending some of your, your time in helping to bring this about. And a deep breath without a mask on. So that would be the... Uh, <laughs> deep breath without <laughs> yeah, well, a mask. Well, yeah. well, they, well, they still let us breathe without masks. But we, we definitely, you know, thank you for all of your wisdom throughout the years and through all of your activism and putting yourself out there when it wasn't a very easy time to put yourself out there, whereas now it's, a you know, exponentially easier to put yourself out there than it was, you know, certainly 50 years ago when, when you uh, started doing that. And so thank you so much for spending, uh, you know, a little bit of time on our little show over here definitely definitely appreciate that and uh you know thank you for all the wisdom and and for anyone out there who had, did not see the last interview where jerry griffin was talking about the white dove and QAnon and jasara nasara highly recommend that we'll have that link down below and uh and, and john anything else you want to say before we uh wrap this up no all, all i want to say is i really appreciate you know the the fantastic work ed has done you know through the years he's been a great mentor for me since 2013 when i i started working with him at freedom force international he taught me a lot about you know perseverance and and not you know giving up on uh, uh your dreams not just you know personal dreams but actually like uh, you know putting out your yourself and finding what you're really passionate about and getting into action and doing that because that's what ed ed is doing he's doing what he's passionate about and that's why he's a full of life and and very excited about you know where we're going and he's never going to stop until you know his last breath so uh, i really want to thank you ed uh because of your great uh, mentorship and everything that you've done and and where we're going to go you know over the next couple of years here because uh we, we need you more than ever ed and, and we need to uh you know step up and get all the messages out as much as we can because they're trying you know more and more to you know uh, uh shut us up so we just gotta keep on going and and never give up thank you for that john it's good to know that uh, you're on the team thank you 
Thank, thank you, everyone, for watching. Really appreciate it. Make sure to head to timandjohnshow.com to get on our email list, all the other ways you can find us because you can't rely on us and bank on us being on YouTube forever. But anyways, thank you so much for everyone for tuning in. Thank you to Mr. Jaber Griffin. Thank you to John. And until next time, I'll talk to everyone later. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.